Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. People who are actors on Scare Tactics can do anything because if our marks smell acting at all, the bit is blown. So our actors have to be real and believable. And it's, and it's a tough thing. We pride ourselves in getting people to believe the unbelievable. And that's what I think sets Scare Tactics apart from other prank shows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard. It's great to have you here. For those of you first-timers, welcome. And for those of you who've been here a lot, thank you so much for all your support, for subscribing, and passing the episodes on. It means a lot. You guys are the reason why this show is here and has been going over 300 episodes. And I'm very, very grateful. If you need to reach me, you can do so. Just go to Facebook, look me up, subscribe, go to the YouTube channel, go to Twitter and Instagram at Barry Katz and let me know you're there and I will get back to you and I will reach you in some form, way or shape. That's not the right order, but still, I will do that for you. And I have a great show today. I'm very excited about it. This guy is incredible. He's in his own space in the prank category of reality television which is very very specific and it's truly truly amazing what he does and we're going to get into it we're going to learn a lot about the reality world and the world of prank television and i know you're going to be inspired by it and really learn a lot about how it all goes down and without further ado Let me introduce my guest and we'll get right to it. Scott Halleck hails from the fertile hills and valleys of Washington State. He received a degree in broadcasting from Washington State University, where he worked for four years and some 130 episodes as a writer, producer, performer on a half-hour live sketch comedy show called Live at Eight. With Halleck as producer, Live at Eight won national recognition with the College Emmy Award. Fresh out of college, Halleck landed a job as a producer for Fred Rogan's nationally syndicated show, Rogan's Heroes. Scott also wrote for an up-and-coming comic named Jay Leno and worked as a staff writer for the Disney Channel's new Mickey Mouse Club, which featured cast members Christina Aguilera, Ryan Gosling, Britney Spears, and Justin Timberlake. Presently founder and president of Like-Minded Media, Scott brings a unique perspective to the world of alternative entertainment. He is a creator, writer, and producer of TV shows including Sci-Fi's hit Scare Tactics with Tracy Morgan and a host of NBC shows including Betty White's Off Their Rockers, How We Do It with Howie Mandel, and the $25 million hoax 
and Spy TV. As a showrunner on Off Their Rockers, Halleck oversaw the writing, directing, casting, and editing and adapting this foreign format for American television. And his work paid off as the show's premiere attracted over 12 million viewers. But his claim to fame is well over a hundred episodes of Scare Tactics, which changed the game in prank television and created pranks that were so scary and so funny and created so many holy shit moments that you could never stop watching once you started, where he produced over 450 film pranks that made it to the air. Starting this week, you can catch all the show's episodes on Netflix. Please welcome my guest today, a man who has perfected prank television in a way that no other has. What an honor. Scott Halleck. Thank you, Barry. You, as always, I'm, I'm humbled. You give people the greatest introductions, and I always thought, gosh, what's Barry going to say about me? And people always, you always... I mean, this is such an ego boost to be with you because you always have the greatest things to say. Are you high on African babinjaweed? <laughs> no, sir. This is me. This is straight as an arrow. So you're generally telling me that you listen to the show. I listen to the show I, and, and love the show. I've told you that for years. This isn't a surprise to you. Well, Are you doing al- shtick for your audience? Well, people always say stuff like Lauren Michaels always used to say when there'd be a bad review and they'd come into his office and they'd say people on the street they tell us they watch and they love it and lauren would always say people just tell you what you want to hear okay i've got proof i've got quotes that i've written down from your past guests i remember listening to don rio and one of the things he said that stuck out to me was that i thought was hilarious was you never want to sit too close to the ballet (laughs) and you had to explain like what he's like beauty like that is best enjoyed from afar because if you're sitting right close you hear the dancers grunting and farting and straining and i just thought that is that's a good (laughs) metaphor for show business you don't want to sit too close to the ballet um and then uh matt williams of course and don rio the creator and executive producer of so many things from gleason to my wife and kids and of course, Matt Williams created Roseanne and Home Improvement and worked on Cosby. But Matt uh, actually inspired me to find this book that's like not out of print anymore. It was called Write That Play by Kenneth Rowe. Um, and he said the two pistons that drive story are discoveries and decisions. And it's so simple, but it's so true. And it works in hidden camera. It works in in scripted it works in everything i've done a lot of these obviously there's probably 300 episodes but if you were to ask me what he said what i would remember which might be incorrect or might be correct was discovery conflict Mm. and decisions and resolution but I might be wrong, but those were the four that I seemed to take from the interview, which you see on every single scripted show. There's always something that happens. Even in films, there's these things that happen that have to move the story forward. And that's why I think I always love film and television that breaks the rules. And now you see more things that break the rules. And they might not be as fulfilling because you're not going on a familiar path. Like when we walk into a bedroom that we love, we're like, oh wow, look how they did the paint on the bottom half and then the ceiling is that way and it's got the vaulted ceiling, which is different. And wow, they put the carpeting there and the tile here, but it's still the same formula. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I wanna talk about with you, with the show that I would argue is the thing that's been the most successful scare tactics. You took the formula. There's a formula to hidden camera prank television that goes all the way back to the older listeners and some who have seen it on TV land and places like that. The originator, Alan Funt, candid camera. Yep. In those days, In that particular show, it wasn't a prank about getting everybody in the store 
to go along with it. It was just planting somebody in with a hidden camera, fucking with people, mm -hmm. wherever it was. But in your case, what you did was you took a tried-and-true formula, which, again, the formula starts with, okay, we've got this person who is scared that their dog will become rabid. I'm okay. just making up an episode. No, this is good. I'm going to use this for a future this, episode. I, I thought about this when sleeping with my dog today. Oh, okay. I thought I'm interviewing Scott Halley. I thought to myself, I took a picture of myself with a dog. I thought to myself, what would he do here to me? Right. What he would do is he would replace my dog in the middle of the night with a lookalike dog that's trained to be, if you remember this movie that scared the shit out of me, Cujo, right. about the rabid dog. Yep. So you would find out that my biggest fear or somebody in my life was a rabid dog. My dog goes out in the farm or the vineyard where I live in Malibu and and gets bitten and becomes rabid. That's my biggest fear. So you would play on that. So then we get the setup. Hey, I'm Barry's friend. His biggest fear is a rabid dog. Okay, now it's the setup. What we're going to do in the middle of the night, Barry's kind of a sound sleeper. We wouldn't be able to do this otherwise. We're going to get a lookalike dog, Delilah, and we're <laughs> going to place them in the bed, and then we're going to have a trainer uh, have something in the ear, right. and we are going to have the dog wake up, Barry on top of him with foam coming out of its mouth over him with the teeth going, <laughs> And Barry's going to be like, what the fuck is going on? It's all going to be filmed with hidden cameras. And then we're going to plan this to where he tries to run out of the room. He doesn't get there. And then he goes in this way and the dog is in the bathroom and he's got the door closed. And now, okay, cue the guy who's going to break down the door with the claw that looks like the dog's claw. <laughs> Jeez, you've really thought this And then you're going to go and whatever. And then the dog's about to kill me. And then... Hey, you walk in and say, hey, Barry, this is not your dog. Then you bring in Lila, you're on scare tactics. Right. And that would be your thing. You go with that formula, but it's a different formula. And the reason why I think it was so successful was because you flipped the thing. You flipped it. You talk about things that we talk about on the show, holy shit moments. Exactly. Your show is a human holy shit moment. Yes. Highlight reel. Yes. The the I love how detailed your your description of the prank we would do to you is. Um two issues with that. We actually don't prank people with their greatest fears because you won't get a good reaction and we can't do things in people's homes because there's no place to hide the cameras. If you walked into your room and saw an armoire that didn't live there where our camera person is hiding, you'd go what the hell's going on here? And the bit would be blown. Um, but if we, we actually have a casting process where we meet the marks before they're on the show. And uh, people just for our audience, that. the mark is the person who's going to be pranked. Yes. Um, and they come in and they interview with a reality casting company that they think does general casting for reality shows. And we tell them, oh yeah, we do casting for dating shows, for game shows, for, you know, fear factor type shows. We're going to do extreme stunts. We're going to do. And so we want to get to know you and see which show you would be the best for. What they don't know is that they're applying to be on scare tactics and we get all their information from them. If they have any medical issues, we want to know about that. If they are deathly afraid of spiders or rabid dogs in your case, we actually won't use that to scare them because they'll have a bad experience. Scare tactics is, I'm glad you said holy shit moments because it is, that's what we go for in every bit is holy shit moments. And what Alan Funt did so brilliantly is he captured people in the act of being themselves. And that's what we want to do. So we don't know if people are going to get scared. We don't know if they're going to try to become a hero and fight off the rabid dog. You know, we don't know how they're going to react. We just want to catch them being themselves. And you've done how many episodes of the show, including the best of episodes? 119. 119. How many of those were best of? 22. Got it. So you did approximately 100 shows. So out of 100% of those shows... What percentage couldn't you use? Oh, of, of bits that we did? Of did how many pranks fail, didn't the fail? The person just didn't go for it. They knew something was up. They didn't react properly. It was boring. 
very, very few. Over the life of the series, maybe 10 bits. So that's 10%. That's a lot. Well, it's not because there's four oh, bits per right. episode. You're right. I'm sorry. In 100 episodes, Got we it. had to shoot with the kill ratio, you know, probably 450 bits. And to only have 10 of those Got not it. work is, is a pretty good kill ratio. So when you're shooting this, I want the audience to understand because this is fascinating. So who is putting the breakdown out? And when I say breakdown, for those of you who don't know, there is a process in Hollywood. The biggest company is called Breakdown Services. And what happens is if you're doing from a short independent film in your backyard that you're casting to Steven Spielberg to Jerry Bruckheimer doing a television thing to Procter & Gamble doing a commercial, these breakdowns come out every day. They come out electronically and you can submit electronically. It's a whole thing. But before, a casting director's office would look like an A-bomb victim from Nagasaki. There'd be boxes of 8x10s and submissions and envelopes everywhere, everywhere, and they looked like they were ready to buy a handgun after an hour. But in this case, it's all done. So what happens is you're saying is you put out a breakdown with a fake name of a show that says we're looking for people for what? It's uh, We have two different casting departments on scare tactics we have our actor casting and then we have our mark and accomplice cast casting and so really it's just sending recruiters out to meet people walking through the mall and you see someone who looks interesting you go uh hey ever thought about being on a reality show got it hey everybody i hope you're enjoying this episode as much as i am if you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business that's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Now, the acting casting, I think this is really important. The acting part is almost to me, impossible to figure out who's going to be able to do it because you're not just acting. It's one thing if you're given a script and it's like, okay, here's your lines. You're going to be working with this guy in this scene. You're in the barber shop. Well, let's we'll rehearse it, do whatever. In your case, you have bullet points for the actors, but they don't know what's going to happen they don't know if the mark is going to slap them across the face they don't know if the mark is going to run in a direction that they don't want to do even if they have an ifb which for the audience if you don't know that's the thing in your ear that a host or ryan seacrest might have at a live show where they tell him okay you got 10 seconds and sign off on the show and come back to commercial tease this okay we're coming back in five four three two one but my guess is you don't have the IFB because a lot of times you can see it and you can hear it. So these actors have to be in that situation. And I remember there was a movie that I was a part of in a little way because I represented Bobcat Goldthwait at the time. And he directed a cult movie called Windy City Heat. Oh, yeah. Which is, was this huge practical joke that went on for a whole movie. Yep. about this guy, people just completely messing with this guy Perry, for the entire yeah. movie. Parodying, pranking. Jimmy Kimmel produced it. But what I was going to say is Jason Goldberg was doing a show for TBS, and he would call me for actors to audition who weren't that well-known and that recognizable. That's another thing. you got to cast people who are great actors who obviously are shitty auditioners because they haven't become stars yet yep so you got to get great actors who haven't made it yet and for some reason they have a block and you have to figure out 
why they have the block and that they have something special. So Jason Goldberg, I tell him about Kirk Fox. He says, I think he might be a little too old for this role. I just said, see him for five minutes. He said, okay, well, I have a different kind of process for casting these things. Whatever, don't worry about it. He's cool. So Kirk comes in. He goes into his office. He's just sitting there in his office. There's two chairs. And he's just waiting. There's nobody coming in. Nothing. It's 15 minutes. Finally, Jason Goldberg walks in. And if you know Jason Goldberg, who created Punk with Ashton Kutcher, he's like a type A personality in a reserved poker face, intimidating, tall, dark, and handsome way. So he's internally a type A person, but he's stayed. And he never shows emotion. He never really smiles that much. He, and so he sits down across from Kirk. And they're just sitting there. And there, nothing's being said. And he looks at Kirk and he says, tell me a story. And Kirk paused and looked at him and said, you tell me a fucking story. Yep. And there was a pause. They looked at each other. And Jason stood up and extended his hand and said, congratulations, you're hired. That's great. I've heard Kirk on your show, on your podcast, and I heard that story, and I love it. So how do you decide somebody can do that, can go in? And I've been in the business God knows how many years. I don't even know how Jason knew that Kirk could do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you know that somebody can do it. And obviously, if you did 450 episodes and you cast them and there were only 10 failures, and chances are those 10 failures weren't because of the actors. It was weather or technical. How do you know when you're not even... you got to explain that to the audience. It's the best scare tactics actors realize that they're not the star of the scene. The star of the scene is someone we haven't met yet who hasn't come into the scene. It's the mark or the, the victim of the prank. So the best scare tactics actors are just able to kind of tone themselves down and keep the reality of the scene going. Even when people say, and it happens all the time because our bits are so crazy, people go, is this a joke? Am I on TV? And the best way to get people back into the scene is go, I wish it was a fucking joke. Are you kidding me? You think we're on TV? Hell, you know, and if you cuss at them, all of a sudden they think, well, we can't possibly be on TV. They just cuss. They just said the F word, whatever. But our best actors realize that they're there to set this person up and then keep their mouth shut and let them talk. That's one of the things that gets repeated. And our actors do wear IFBs, the earpieces. And one of the things our directors say to them all time, all the time, more than anything is probably quiet, quiet, quiet. Let them talk. Let them talk because we want that. We want that Mark talking. Um, Lauren Ash, who is uh, the star of one of the stars of Superstore. She plays Dina store security. She was our Canadian star of the two most recent seasons that we shot up in Canada. And she was in at least two pranks in every episode. And she said that people trust her because she's approachably attractive. That's the way she put it. I'm approachably attractive and I have a trustworthy face. And she said, one of the things that people say to her all the time when the bid is over is I trusted you. And she said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But the good news is they had a good time. You know, we, we consider our show, we want our show to be like a roller coaster ride, right? Where people get on the show, something crazy happens. They have their holy shit moment. And then when it's over and we re reveal that it's a joke and their friends set them up, they go, oh my God, that was fun. I want to do it again. And the way they do it again is by setting up another friend and the machine kind of keeps feeding itself. People who were on the show before have a great time and then they set up a few friends and then it goes and goes and goes. Have you ever thought about seeing if you could prank a person a second time? It is possible with some of our marks um, we, we like to prank younger people, 18 to 22 years old, um, because they're up for anything. Most of our pranks start with, Hey, do you want to go to this warehouse in the middle of the night and earn 50 bucks for a couple hours of work? You're not going to get most people over 22, 24 years old to do that. But people are in college who like, I, I could use 50 bucks cash. Heck yeah. So, and, and they don't ask a lot of questions. 
people with kids and mortgages and car payments and stuff like that tend to ask a lot of questions. Well, who's going to be there at the warehouse? Will I get the 50 bucks ahead of time or will I get it afterwards? Never mind. You're already out. We had a guy, we had a prank not work. Speaking of pranks not working, we uh, were doing this prank about a doctor's office where there was illegal kidney harvesting going on. And the marks were working at the front desk. And after they see this, this guy come in to, for what they think is a flu shot, the doctor calls him all of a sudden, hey, get, uh, I need your help. Get in here. The mark goes in there. The guy who they thought was coming in for a flu shot is face down on the table and his back is cut open and the doctor's trying to harvest a kidney. We had one guy walk in and he looks at it and he just kind of smirks and he goes, your blood's the wrong color. And we're like, excuse me? And he goes, yeah, I was an EMT in the Marine Corps. <laughs> your blood's the wrong color from where it's coming out of his back. It would be deoxygenated. So it would be a little more purplish or blue. And uh, no, that's, and we're like, okay, thank you. <laughs> and send him on his way. <laughs> do you spend time with him? Cause that's fascinating. To yeah. Me. If people did figure things out, we do talk to them a little bit and you know, what seemed unrealistic to you, what stuck out for you. Cause anything you can learn from them. Cause we do shoot the pranks multiple times. We shoot, we schedule three people plus a backup. And so we allow for those things not to work. We try to vet them in the casting process, but so sometimes. each prank has three people and a backup and you shoot the prank three times. And if you're not really thoroughly happy, you'll shoot the fourth with a backup. Yep. How many hours on average prank does it take to shoot one person? We schedule maybe a little over an hour per person. It takes them about four from the time they, their foot hits the set. It takes about 45 minutes to shoot a bit, depending on the bit. So do you do three so we, in the morning and a different prank in the afternoon? We've done two for days before, but usually one prank is one shoot day. So, you know, we'll, we'll schedule the marks like every 90 minutes so that we have time after we shoot to shoot any um, pickups we need with our actors to shoot an interview with the mark, to shoot an interview with the accomplice, and then reset for the next person who's coming. So technically, there isn't one out of 450 pranks that didn't work because you're just talking about one of the three people there to shoot and then the alternate. So you got the sketch done. You had got it done. It doesn't matter that it failed. Was there ever an episode where you were scared because the first two failed? Oh, yeah. Did ever the first three fail and the alternate came through? Maybe. You know, the good news about we've been doing this long enough and we've got such a talented team of, you know, writers, directors, art department, the casting people, everybody, because we do vet these people in a way beforehand for the prank, we have an incredible success ratio. So sometimes we'll get it on the first person. We'll get an A plus reaction and then we'll go, let's just do it again to see what we get. And sure enough, we get a second A plus reaction. We did this bit called Satan's baby that we did not think was going to work. Um, Sarah Colonna, who you may know is very course, talented, used to represent her in new wave. Yes. Comedian actor. Um, she was, came into this medical clinic. She was one of our regulars in the first few seasons of scare tactics because she was so good and being so real and just getting people to believe anything. Um, she came in with a little prosthetic pregnant belly. Of course, the Mark didn't know it was prosthetic. And she said, Oh, I'm so scared. I'm about to give birth. And so the Mark was just there to be a receptionist. Um, but of course, Sarah goes in the back and the doctor goes, you know what? She's really scared. Would you come back and hold her hand? The Mark goes back and to hold her hand. All this crazy stuff is happening. We're planting seeds that this isn't normal. Sarah says, I'm only, I'm only five months. I don't know why I'm having labor pains. This really tall, scary looking guy with like a satanic necklace comes in and he's there for the birth. And it's like, why is this guy here? And of course, at some point in the, <laughs> in the bit, Shooting out from underneath the table is our little actor, Gabriel Pimentel, who is 28 inches tall and he's painted completely red. He's got horns on his head and he's wearing a red Speedo. He comes shooting out from under the table as if he, Sarah just gave birth to him. And we didn't think anyone was going to buy it. We're going to like, they're going to see the Speedo. No one's going to believe that he's small. He's a small man, but he's too big to have just come out of Sarah. No one's going to believe it. 
two women in a, we got two A plus marks in a row who screamed, who pointed at him. Gabriel comes out and he looks at them with this devilish stare and says, praise me. And the one woman goes, no, I will not praise you. I love God and you are the devil. And we're like, is she really talking to Satan's baby right now? Like, did this just happen? And two out of the gate, two A plus marks. And we're like, all right, well, we're done. We got it. And if I'm not mistaken, that was one of the highest rated shows of your entire series. It's one of the favorite pranks we've ever done. It's it's one it's of the most the, viewed. I think it's one of the 50 oh, yeah. worst pranks of all time. VH1 did four 40 greatest pranks specials. And there was a scare tactics bit that was number one on every one of their countdowns. And it all of them involved Gabriel, our little person. <laughs> one is Satan's baby. One a rat monster, which is another favorite. One where he played a conjoined twin, I think. And then another one, I can't remember if it was where he was playing a garden gnome who had came to life, who had come to life, or uh, if he was playing a, a mythical creature called Barnacle Boy. But uh, Gabriel was number the number one bit four times on vh1 and you want to know for our audience the sad part about being an actor who's cast on a prank show why don't you tell the audience what they make per episode <laughs> the sad part well about the 935 dollars oh, yeah, and 60 cents it's after scale i mean we were a basic cable show so you know we had after scale this guy and i'm not saying it to disparage you no. i'm talking about just the way television works yep this guy who is the number one prankster on four specials in a row made about 3700 dollars for his work to be the number one guy. And that's the sad part. It doesn't matter if he's a little person, if he's a big person, if whatever. The fact is, in these kind of shows, actors don't make a lot of money. So Sarah Colonna, that did, I think she did probably over 20 episodes yeah, of your show, like, maybe she made $20,000. And I don't believe, and this is another thing that's so strange about your shows, and prank shows in general. I don't believe they've ever helped an artist's career from somebody watching and saying, I got to cast that person, but they're like going to college and getting your doctorate. It's the greatest acting training because you want to laugh so hard, mm -hmm. but you can't. Mm -hmm. And to be able to keep a straight face and do that, it feels like for somebody casting a show, you could do anything. People who are actors on Scare Tactics can do anything because if our marks smell acting at all, the bit is blown. So our actors have to be real and believable. And it's and it's a tough thing. But, you know, our actors, I, the good news about our show is that it's SAG-AFTRA. So at least they do get residuals, right? When it reruns, like it is on Netflix and MTV2 right now. I don't know the answer to this. What's the average residual somebody makes every time it airs? It's a percentage of the license deal. So it's different for every... And then it also depends on if it's on cable or if it's on Netflix. So I don't know what the exact... But it is a, a fraction, certainly, of what, they, of what they first made. No one's getting rich off of uh, scare tactics residuals. Uh, Hopefully you are. <laughs> I get, I own the show myself a hundred percent. So, you know, I'm, I make the license fee for the, for the sale, which is very nice, but we do have actors who I think are noticed on there and, and go on to do other things, whether they were noticed on scare tactics or not. I don't know, but, but our little guy, Gabe, uh, he was the Panda that Ben Stiller fights with in Tropic Thunder. Oh, that's fantastic. He's been in, he was in Dana Carvey's movie, uh, The Master of Disguise. So your feeling is it is helpful to actors? I think, I think they go, I certainly don't think, you know, Sarah Colonna going on to be on Insatiable, you know, was because they saw her on Netflix or Lauren Ash going on to get Superstore, you know, is ne necessarily because of scare tactics, but. But maybe it helps get them it prepared. Helps. Maybe it helps in some way. And the good news is, you know, I've talked to our actors and I go, how, how do you look back on your time on scare tactics? You know, and they look back on it fondly. Lauren Ash, I just had coffee with her a couple of weeks ago 
And she said, I loved it. I had such a great time pranking people and getting them to believe the nonsense that we were doing every night. We pride ourselves in getting people to believe the unbelievable. And that's what I think sets scare tactics apart from other prank shows. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, and I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with AquaTrue. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so. It's incredible. It turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly. It saves you thousands and thousands of dollars. It gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have in your trash. Thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these. Everybody loves it. Not one complaint. It's incredible. I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount. A $100 discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the air doctor. I don't know what the air inside your house is like, but the air inside my house, it feels heavy at times before I got this product. And now it got rid of all the bad air in my house, the dust, the pet hair, the pollen. It just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home. And for me, when I got this product, it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house. And it's normally $600 and you can check Amazon right now and you'll see. But for all of you listening today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. The hardest part about a prank show versus other television shows like if you do a sitcom you sign your deal for the sitcom when you're testing for it against other people it could be a 60 page contract that outlines how much you're making per episode what you're making for residuals what your back end is if it's anything what your credit billing is and you sign that before you even go in to do your final test with the network and studio president the difference between your shows is the mark hasn't signed anything. The mark hasn't agreed to be on camera yet. So you have 450 pranks in 122 episodes, and each person after the prank is done, you have to convince them to sign the paperwork when they've just looked like a complete maniac on camera. 
is there a technique, a special technique that you've developed that gets them the sign, whereas if somebody tried a different way, it wouldn't work? I think our reality casting department is so gifted at that. And the unique thing about scare tactics is they actually have signed before they're on the show. Part of their application where they're giving us their medical information and their history and their, you know, their phobias and all that stuff is they do sign a release to be on camera. They don't know what it's for at that point. They just think it's for the unnamed show. And then we tell them at the end of that interview, thank you very much. If the producers like you, we'll bring you back and put you on camera. And then we do have them sign a second release after the fact, because we want everyone to be okay with what just happened. And what we generally tell people is the way you reacted was 100% correct. The screaming, the yelling, the whatever, the, the you know, we've had uh, Howie Mandel's son, Alex, played an alien on one of our bits and he came out and we told him to stay away from the people we were pranking because we didn't want anything to happen. Well, Alex was a little bit into it and dressed as this alien. He got a little bit too close to our actor and he got punched. And then we, we were revealing, re revealing at the end. The first thing that Mark did was go to Alex and go, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And even Alex to his credit went, no, 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 that was, you were right. That was the right thing to do. Um, so that's what we do is in talking to the people and having them sign that second release that says, yes, we're, we're aware now of what's happening and we're okay with it. We tell them that they were right and they were being themselves and it was great and they look great and they come off tremendously. And you know, most people are so excited at the end of it after they come down a little bit and their friend is there who set them up and they're laughing about it and having fun. And they've got one of the greatest dinner party stories ever then they're okay with signing that second release and, and knowing that, you know, we're going to take care of them and not make them look foolish and getting their $935 and 60 cents. Well, that's not for the marks. That's the actors. The actors get scale. Marks do not get scale. Marks get whatever they were promised for that night, which is usually 50 to a hundred dollars because they're appearing as themselves. So they fall outside of the after scale rules. Have you ever been sued by a mark? Sadly, the from the pilot episode. Your first episode. It was the last bit of the pilot, and we had just recorded an A-plus reaction to this alien bit. The first two people, that's the one where we had to go to the backup. Well, we went to the backup, and we didn't really need to, which is another thing we stopped doing <laughs> after this incident. But... It was a bit where the cover story was people were going to a rave in the desert and on the way there, the car breaks down and it starts to rumble and then there's noise and a bright light hits the car. And then this six foot seven guy in this crazy alien suit, we could have used you for the role actually. Now that I think of it, um, he comes, I, I need the $935. <laughs> there you go. And plus the residuals. Um, he comes running out of the rocks. We shot it up at Vasquez rocks here in Southern California. And, uh, the first two people, first two marks, saw the guy in the suit. They were startled. They were scared at what was going on. They saw the guy in the suit, startled, and then went, ah, very funny. It's a guy in a suit. The third set of marks freaked out, and that's the one we used on the show. They went screaming, running out of the car. They went running off into the darkness. We had to get them back to do the reveal because they were scattered. And so we had to convince them to get back to the car because the car was in the light. And so we had to bring them back to reveal and go, you're on scare tactics. Um, so it worked beautifully. Then our casting people come to us and say, would you just do one more? We're like, we're done. We got the pilot. We got the bit. We're good. They said this person, he's set people up for us before. He's a great accomplice. He's brought someone, the woman he's bringing. She's actually been to Burning Man before. So she's been to raves in the desert. She's perfect for this bit. Um, just, to, and they drove all the way up from Venice and, you know, Venice to Vasquez rocks is probably about 90 minutes or something, even at night with no traffic. So we're like, all right, we'll do one more. And unfortunately, um, when it was over, she immediately started saying, I want to know who this was for. I want business cards, uh, you know, all this stuff. I can't talk too much about it because, yes, she filed a lawsuit and it was settled to everyone's satisfaction. That's about what I can say about it is that 
it was settled and everyone's happy with the outcome. So yeah. that pre-disastered us because it happened in the pilot. We learned from that and going forward, we changed our casting procedures so that people like that wouldn't get through the filter again. In the settlement, did you use her? What do you mean? Did you use her episode? Oh, no. Uh-uh. No, because she didn't have a good reaction. Oh, okay. She wasn't scared. She was annoyed. It. As it was going on, she was kind of looking around. And the, the good news about hidden camera is that there's no he said, she said. It's all on tape. So she alleged certain things in her lawsuit, and we gave the raw tapes to her lawyers, and they said, oh, okay, never mind. So they saw some of the stuff wasn't true. Um, and, uh, you know, she was, she was annoyed and, and you know, absolutely we wouldn't have used it anyway. We got the A plus bit already. So, so yeah. back then when you were working on the show, you were working with your partner, Kevin Healy at the time, who's not your partner anymore. And what happens? Are you just wake up in the middle of the night and grab a pad and say, I got this great idea. What was the inspiration for the show? Take us back the audience 24 hours before you even, either one of you even had a thought process about the show and what got you to the place where you're like, hmm, I thought of this idea. This is a great idea. Let's expand on it and let's pitch it. So the Sci-Fi Channel actually approached us. We were, we were producing Spy TV at the time for NBC, which was a hidden camera show. Michael Ian Black was our host the first season, then Ali Landry was the host the second season. Ralphie May was an actor. God bless Ralphie May. He was an actor. I'll tell you about the Ralphie May bit in a minute. Put a pin in that one. The greatest. But uh, love Ralphie. So Sci-Fi approaches us with this idea to do, they said, can you do for us what you're doing for NBC, but with a Sci-Fi twist? So we thought about it and we're like, mm, yeah, we started, you know, brainstorming some bits. We went and sat down with the people at the sci-fi lab, which was their in-house um, kind of development company or development unit. And so there was Rick Austin and Robin Latiker Johnson and Paul Harrison and Stuart Sweezy. And we sat with those guys in the lab and kind of kicked this idea around and sci-fi liked enough of what they saw and they go, all right, let's shoot a pilot. What a great compliment as a producer to have a network come to you and say, listen, we want to do a show and we're choosing you to help us develop it. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It was great. And the beautiful thing that never happens these days anymore is um, back then it wasn't a big part of a big conglomerate. It was just USA and sci-fi. I don't even know if they were owned by Seagram's at the time or they were, and they certainly weren't owned by Comcast yet, but, um, they were so afraid of the liability of the crazy ass hidden camera show that they made it a license deal, meaning they paid us to produce the show, but we owned the show, which is a huge mistake <laughs> and is never done anymore. No, I mean, to give a production company. I believe there's legal ways to where they could have done the show and Shh, had the lawyer. Don't, mm -mm, don't okay, tell Okay, I'll Because <laughs> I've done this before. Because I remember when I did a documentary that shall remain nameless and I licensed the footage that I used from a person who said that they had the rights to everything. Mm-hmm. And I kept asking for it and I got some, some I didn't get and I was concerned about it. And the lawyers said, that's okay, Barry. We're going to have him sign a contract that says that he has all the stuff and he has stated under oath that he has all the things. And if something happens and there's a lawsuit that he's accepted responsibility, that he's the guy who's going to take it. Reps and warranties. Yes. I was able to absolve myself and own the license as well. But in that case, that network probably had a younger business affairs person. <laughs> well, they were just, you know, scared of the liability and scared of, you know, they were really pushing us. They wanted this to be a really scary show. And luckily what we've 
kind of developed over the years is a way to scare people safely. And I'm knocking wood as I say this because, you know, we've been scaring people safely, save for that one incident um, since 2003. Incredible. Incredible stuff. All right. I want to talk about something with you that I think a lot of people have to deal with in their lives and they form partnerships with people that they know that are presumably like family to them and then one day something happens and they realize either I took a left turn and something's wrong with me or something's wrong with them and I think it's them and I got to figure out how to get out of this but this has been a successful partnership everyone in town knows us together everyone in town believes that we do things together well they don't know we do things separately well they don't know we can do things separately if I end this or they end it or we both end it are we ever going to work again? Am I going to work again? Right. And how do I do this and move on with my life? Could you share with your audience again the week before everything's rosy, everything's fine, everything's going well, and then something happens where you come home and sit down with your wife and say, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but... This is what's going down. Yeah, it's it's interesting you put it that way because people did know us as Halleck and Healy for so long, right? And we started working together in 1996. And, you know, because of scare tactics, we were able to form a company. Um, and we had worked at a lot of other successful places like Nash Entertainment and with Vindabona and stuff like that. Um, but then it was scare tactics. Vindabona did America's Funniest Home Videos. Yes. He was a producer from Rhode Island yep. who made it really big. And Nash Entertainment, their Bruce biggest Nash. claim to fame was... Oh, I mean, we worked on World's Most Amazing Videos. Um, they did The Masked Magician was something that Bruce Nash did. He uh, did the reboot of You Asked For It. That's um, right. You know, it was, yeah. But uh, we had we had a great experience working with Bruce. And he kind of taught us how to pitch because he would take us on pitch meetings with him, which was really gracious um, and just really treated us well. So yeah, we, we, because of scare tactics, we were able, and because we owned the show, we were able to set up our own company. And I, I still remember getting the first license payment from sci-fi. You know, I can't remember if the first milestone was maybe a million dollars. Um, to do the series and it was made out to our company it was like wow i'm endorsing a check for a million dollars i don't get to keep it but this is pretty cool there's positives and negatives to everything the positives to owning the show are great but the negatives are you get a check for a million dollars and it looks like it's yours it feels like it's yours but when you go through the entire budget of what you have to spend a fraction of it is yours right but it's easy to look at it in the bank account and say, hey, well, let's let's go to Hawaii this weekend or let's do whatever we want to do. Yeah. And as an executive producer, the last fraction of it is yours. So you don't usually get paid until the last milestone comes in. So here you are producing, you know, if it takes six to nine months to produce a, a season of an episode or of a show, you know, you're not getting paid that whole time you're waiting until that final milestone comes in and you see, did we go over budget that comes out of your fee as well? So you're waiting until the end. It's called an overage. Yeah. Yeah. Those overages. And luckily we produce shows that uh, came in on time and under budget for the most part. And that's called an underage. Yes. And when you own the show, it's one of the greatest things in the world. That's not illegal. Right. Traditionally, the production company fee is 10%. Mm -hmm. So if they got a million dollars, their fee was 100000 and 50000 a guy because they're a partnership. Doesn't right. look like a lot after taxes. Right. And as I like to say, $6 in the bucket of chicken. Yes. But what you pray for when you own the show and you're doing all the production are the underages because, and even if there's not underages, there's line items. Now, let's pretend it came right on budget. The great part about owning your own production and having your own production company 
is there's line items, line items for the casting director, line items for craft services, line items for the editing bay, the color correction, everything. Mm -hmm. And if you own your own company, you can assign an amount of money for that tasks. And you can go under that task. So if your amount of money, if you have an editing bay in your house and you want to rent that out for $2,000 a week and other people are renting out editing bays for $2,000 a week and the editor, normally other places are, the editor is 1500 a week and that's 3500 a week for the editor, but you have an editor in your bathroom and he's making 500 a week, it doesn't matter. That's your deal. However you run your company and run your operation, it, they might be on salary for six different shows you're doing. And so that's the other place where young producers and production companies are able to make money so they can survive and not have to live off the $50,000 right. a series. Right. Yeah, You and, and luckily we did... Because we owned the show, we kind of invested in ourselves. We invested in edit bays and cameras and all that stuff. And we were able to rent those back to production. And then that money you use to, you know, pay your expenses when you're not in production, when you're not having money come in from your license fee and stuff like that. Yeah. So instead of making $100,000, having work within the walls of a production company that shall remain nameless, the normal amount of money a production company can make off a show like this is an average of 30%, sometimes sure. 40%. And if you really own your own building and you own your own people and they're working on 50 different projects, right? you could break through the 50% barrier and make that. Nobody checks that, nobody cares, nobody does anything when it comes to that. So take us through our audience, through what happened with you with Kevin and what was the first whatever you can talk about so our audience knows how to deal with these things properly in the future right i know you can't talk about everything but what was the first thing you noticed i don't remember what the first thing i noticed was um it's just uh you know f for the last few years it seemed like we were kind of going in separate directions or for whatever reason and so um once we shot the last season of scare tactics in canada which we shot in 2011 you know we had produced how we do it with howie mandel up there loved shooting in toronto all that stuff uh, kevin ended up spending more and more time in toronto and ended up starting another company uh in canada with some other partners so he comes to you and he says scott i just want to tell you i want to start my own company in canada and live up here now i love it up here and you probably said well are we going to be doing any more productions together right it was there was a while there where we were trying to figure out okay he's starting this new company am i going to be a part of this company am i not going to be a part of this company and his partners were kind of negotiating with me and with james beaton who was our exec in charge of you know they kind of wanted us to be a part of this new company and i was driving home one day and i just wasn't really into it and um i just said to myself what if i say no and I just felt this lightness and just this weight lifted off my shoulders. And I said, oh, that's the answer. And as hard as I knew it was going to be, because as you said, I would go to a pitch meeting by myself and people would say, hey, boys, you know, because we were known as a partnership. Right. So I'm like, gosh, should I try to stick it out and make it work in this situation that's kind of been presented to me? that I don't really like, or should I just go off on my own? And I decided to go off on my own. So we kind of settled everything to our mutual satisfaction. And out of that settlement, I got pretty much all of our development, uh, all the companies that we had started were signed over to me. And then eventually, uh, even scare tactics was signed over to me a hundred percent. So, uh, I'm now the hundred percent owner of the entire, of everything with scare tactics, the library, the format, the everything from your perspective, just your perspective. Mm -hmm. 
why would anyone in their right mind sign over 100% of scare tactics to you when they don't have to and they can just keep their 50%? You ask a good question, and I think anyone with a legal background will push back on the part that you said when they don't have to. I think there was things that happened in our going our separate ways that made it advantageous for Kevin to decide to walk away from everything. So the only thing that I could say to that, which he's going to be mad at me, is the only reason that would ever happen, ever happen, would be if funds were misappropriated. So that's all I'll say. I'm not saying that. So that, that's the only way that would ever happen. So uh, now I get it. Okay. <laughs> this is, that's a choose your own adventure. I'm not, gonna, know, I'm not confirming or I denying. Know, I know. I'm just, okay. I'm just saying. All right. I love this conversation because I think that it really puts light on a lot of different things. One of the things that I think would be great to talk about because you've done so many amazing projects in this world. This is your lane. There's no illusion that you're going to go in and pitch a scripted dramatic series. There's no thought process of, okay, listen, I found this great person who wrote a half-hour comedy, scripted, multi-camera. Let's go into the network and pitch this. Although I would love to do that. I would love to work on a show where I get second takes, where we can do retakes, not just have to capture everything on the first take. Well, that can be arranged. I had an idea for you. Okay. You know, if I were putting my manager hat on. Yes, please. One of my ideas for you that I think would be a great, great idea for a scripted show where you could executive produce and have input in, it's a scripted show about a reality company that only does prank television and so you got the behind the scenes production crew of how they do it you got guests coming in and out and i always thought that would be a great scripted show it's never been done before i developed a show similar to that with tracy morgan um called tracy morgan needs help <laughs> and it was a fictional production company run by tracy morgan and of course, you can imagine what that would be like if Tracy shows up in the morning and says, I need a giraffe by three o'clock this afternoon. We were going to incorporate marks into it, right? So then the mark would have to figure out how do I get a giraffe to Tracy Morgan by three o'clock this afternoon and whatever. Of course, we'd have little elves helping them behind the scenes. And then if a giraffe shows up in the parking lot at three o'clock, Tracy would walk out and go, what is that doing here? I'm in a stuffed giraffe. What am I going to do with a real giraffe? You know, um, that could be a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm with you on that idea. All if, right. we, if we find a way to develop that, I'm in. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life and instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. If you had your health and money was no object, what would you do? And if show business, if writing, if directing, if producing, if being a camera person, if being a photographer, if that's the thing that 
drives you, that you love, that's your passion, that gets you to jump out of bed in the morning, then do it. And early on, the nice thing about the world today is the barrier to entry is almost non-existent. If you've got an idea, the technology is out there for you to shoot and edit something that looks probably amazing. And you know what? If it's a great script, it doesn't have to look totally amazing. Just the fact that you go and do it is the important thing. That's the important part of the exercise. So go and do. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.